0: If you're new to this podcast, you should know that I'm a clinical counselor specializing in trauma therapy. I've worked with first responders and frontline workers for over a decade, treating everything from anxiety, depression, and burnout to PTSD and dissociative disorders. I've been inspired by my work with those on the front lines, as well as continually disappointed by the systems meant to support you. So as a result, I've become a passionate wellness advocate and educator for first responders and frontline workers, striving to help you create something more sustainable with what little you've been given. Behind the Line is a place for us to talk about the real-life behind-the-scenes challenges facing some of you on the front lines. I created this podcast with the hope of bringing easy access to skills for wellness, allowing you to find greater sustainability both on the job and off if you've been with us these last several weeks, you'll know that we're in the final week of a five-week series on self-care. If you haven't been listening in and this is your first time jumping in with us, you may want to jump back to episode 10, which starts this series. As we wrap up this series on self-care, I want to celebrate what we've done together because it's significant. We've debunked the myths, we've worked to overcome the many barriers, we've identified how to personalize a plan that fits for you, and we've worked out how to make it perfectly practical so you can actually make it happen. The big question that's left is, how do you keep it up and not go back to old patterns? This is an age-old question, really, and at its core the question is, can people really change? It's a question I face a lot in my work as a therapist. It's often what keeps people from coming for therapy, the disbelief that anything can ever really change, and the belief that even if it's possible for some, it's not for them. Here's the thing. The answer to the question, can people really change, is both a resounding yes and an unfortunate no, all at the same time. Let me tell you why and what this means for us as we try to make some changes and make them last. Way back when, back in the late 1970s, researchers James Prochaska and Carlos DiClemente developed the Stages of Change model. This model attempts to describe and summarize the process that people generally follow in identifying and taking action around a problem in their lives, how they go about making change. And I think it's important for us to understand. I've included a PDF summary that I'll link to in the show notes if you want to take a closer look at this. If you're listening from a platform that doesn't include our show notes, you can find this information by going to our website. It's www.my.thrive-life.ca/slash behind-the-line. I know it's complicated. The model looks like this. First, we start out in a stage called pre-contemplative. What this means is that we don't yet know that there's a problem. Or if we know about it, we don't really identify it as problematic, and we're not yet considering that anything needs to be done about it. At this stage, we're in the dark about the problem, perhaps blissfully unaware that we're being impacted by something or perhaps avoidant of wanting to touch whatever it is with a 10-foot pole. At this stage in the game, we may not see that there's a problem or have interest in doing anything about it, but often those around us will. And it can often be the comments of others that move us on towards stage two. Stage two is called contemplative, which means I'm now thinking about it. I'm at this point not yet moved to action, but I'm mulling whether or not this problem is really that big of a deal. If it is, do I have the emotional or mental bandwidth to take on whatever I need to do to shift it, and so on. Now, at this point, we're at a choice point where we can either sit idly in the mulling and perhaps balance this with some avoidance, which means essentially pretending that there is no problem or ignoring it, or we can move into action stage three is called preparation in this stage we're now aware that there's something we need to work at changing and we've prepared to start considering how we might go about tackling it this is an information gathering stage like listening to this podcast to get information about what it looks like to make a change this may also be where we start considering our goals how we would like things to look different And maybe even start experimenting with some small changes that would allow us to set things up to make bigger ones stage four is all about action this is where we move into confronting the problem head-on possibly seeking support if we're out of our depths trying to figure it out ourselves and whether we like it or not we're determined to make it different stage five is maintenance where we're continually working to keep the change we made going. It takes effort to maintain and work to keep from shifting back into old patterns. And last but not least is the final stage called recovery or relapse. Now, I know the terminology for this one tends to feel uncomfortable, but hang in there for a second. What this really means is that either we have totally tackled the problem, recovery, or that we have made some meaningful progress toward making change, but that we're human and we fell back into old patterns for a minute and may need to continue working through the problem a few times to get to the place where we feel really good about where it's landed. Relapse. Okay, now that we've walked through the model from a conceptual level, let's try to make it a bit more practical. I'm going to give you a couple of examples to help flesh out what this looks like in real life. Let's imagine for a minute that I'm driving my car and it's making a funny noise. Not like an obviously bad get this thing checked immediately kind of noise, just not a typical car noise. You may not have even noticed that the noise was there or that it was weird or different. Here we're in pre-contemplative. But then someone else rides with you and comments on it. Hey, what's that funny noise? Have you had that checked out? Suddenly we're aware and it's hard to unhear it once we've heard it. So now we're in contemplative and we're thinking about it. At this stage, you could chalk it up to being no big deal, probably it's fine, and you could remain in the thinking about it but not interested or feeling a need to do anything more about it. Or you decide to take it seriously and do something about it. In the preparation phase, you may Google the noise or try to hunt down some repair videos on YouTube, or you may start calling around to local shops to see who can take the car and fix it. Once we nail down how we wanna go about solving the problem, we're gonna take action. Maybe you take it in to get looked at. Maybe you follow a YouTube video and fix it yourself. Either way, we've taken action and gotten the job done. If it's a problem that requires ongoing maintenance, You choose to maintain or not to maintain, and this leads to either recovery, i.e. no more car noise, or relapse, as in recurring car noises and probably bad things happening because you're not a very conscientious car owner. This might be me sometimes. Now, that was a pretty neat and tidy example, I know. I give it to you because I think some of us do better with really tangible examples before moving into slightly less obvious terrain. Let me give you one more example that has more to do with our topic on self care and the stages of change model and action. While you're listening to this one, I want you to try to listen for the different stages. Remember, they're pre contemplative, contemplative, preparation, action, maintenance, and recovery or relapse. Let's imagine now that I've been working on the front lines for a few years. I've seen some things. Shift work is tough, and my organization from a management level feels toxic and non-supportive. I like my work, but it's also draining. But I keep showing up, wanting to make a difference for my community and to provide for my family. I keep in mind that my job has great benefits, and that the pension will be worth it someday. I'm out for lunch with an old friend, and it's obvious that they're uncomfortable with my jokes. My friend even mentions that I seem a lot darker than they remember me and indicates some worry that maybe the job is taking a toll. This is the first time someone has told me I'm different. I maybe knew that I wasn't totally myself, but I didn't realize that it had become so apparent to others. This is the shift from pre-contemplative to contemplative. I have a choice. I can blow it off and stay here, continuing to be impacted by the job, but not doing anything to curb it, believing that this is just how it is, or feeling like I don't have the ability to make it different. Or I can move into action. If I choose to do something about it, I might start by researching options for support, talking with some of my coworkers about what they do to support wellness, maybe ordering a book on the topic or listening to a podcast like this one. From there, I choose to take action, I work at implementing a wellness plan for myself, I connect with others in the job who want to work together to support one another around burnout and wellness, I invest in resources that offer tools around burnout and wellness, and maybe I seek professional support to deal with the things I've seen and the impacts of a toxic work environment. I've made some changes, and it feels good, but it's also a work in progress. It takes ongoing maintenance to keep it up and some adjustments here and there to keep it working in my favor. I slip into times where I forget or fail to use the new skills and supports I've been working to use, and I notice that I can fall back into dark humor or intense irritability or a host of other not so desirable coping fairly quickly. I can get discouraged by this and quit, or I can recognize that it's okay, I'm human. And I need to keep working at this. And I will. Okay, does that example hit maybe a bit closer to home? The reason I think it's important to talk about the stages of change model as we finish up this series on self-care is that we need to understand the inherent difficulty we face in making enduring change, which is that we're human. At the start of the episode, I asked the question, can people really change? And I said that the answer is both yes and no. The reality is that people change all the time, but we're also always fighting against our long standing patterns that tend to call us back into an old way of being, even when we know it's not great for us. Human nature is such that we will struggle to implement long standing change without any difficulty at all, but that is not the same as change not being possible. We just have to set our expectations to keep us from getting too discouraged by the setbacks when they happen. And they will happen. I know that you want to build something for yourself. Impart in an effort to offer something better of yourself to those in your life. It's a noble calling, but one that's also riddled with tripwires along the way. Stay focused on your goals. And know that steps back are not the same as starting over. There are going to be days, weeks, maybe even longer, where your greatest self-care plans and intentions get hijacked despite your best efforts. We work to plan for scenarios to prevent this, to the best of our abilities, but life happens and we can fall into the trap of going back to what feels comfortable and familiar, even if it's not helpful or healthful for us. When it happens, try not to judge yourself too harshly. It just means that you're one of us. You're human and you're in it with the rest of us. I mean, truly, in spite of all my time and intention working at my own self-care plan, there are days where it gets compromised to the point that it's non-existent. The issue isn't whether this happens, it's what we do with it. I remember someone saying to me one time, I need to not let a bad minute turn into a bad hour turn into a bad day, and so on. Let it be what it is when things slip up. Catch it as soon as you can and refocus, and then gradually work at getting things back on track. One of the people I've really enjoyed listening to in some of the podcasts I follow is author James Clear, who wrote the book Atomic Habit, which I'll link to in the show notes if you want to check it out. He's also got a great short video that summarizes some of his work on his website, which I'll also link to. James has invested years of research into how habits are formed and how our habits lead us to change not only our behavior, but our identities. He talks about how our identity is a way of thinking about who we are, and that our behavior level goals can become identity level goals. For example, the goal is not to do self care. It's to become someone who cares about themselves. Similar to what I've shared in previous episodes during this series, James focuses on the setup for making meaningful life change by breaking it down into smaller, more doable parts. In the video I'll link to, which I highly encourage you to check out, it's only eight minutes long, he talks about how everybody wants rapid and transformative change the big stuff in a short time, but that we fail to realize that we're making small choices every single day that are already transforming us. His point is that we get to choose whether we're going to engage in small daily actions that transform us toward our long-term goals or move us further away from them, and that we have to be intentional in choosing the direction we want to head. Sound familiar? He also talks about this really important concept that tends to be misunderstood or misused a lot in our culture, and it's the concept of motivation. He talks about how many people wait to be motivated before taking an action, needing a sense of passionate pull before being able to do the shit and get it done. This is a mistake. Motivation does not show up in a vacuum. Motivation is cultivated and actually can be enhanced by this identity piece we just talked about. When I do the daily habits of self-care, motivated or not, I start to think about myself as someone who has become caring of themselves. It becomes part of who I am. I've proven this to myself with repeatable and observable evidence, which helps make it real and convince my brain that this is a part of who I am now. When that happens, I'm motivated to continue thinking of myself in this light, and I maintain these behaviors because they help me maintain this positive sense about me. In his presentations and his book, James clarifies four stages of habit formation, which include noticing, wanting, doing, and liking. Noticing is pretty clear. We start habit formation by noticing a problem or a habit we wish to start, change, or or remove. It's kind of like that contemplative point in time in the stages of change model. We now see that there's something we want to do and we're trying to work out how we're going to do it. But it's not just enough to notice it like, huh, turns out I have a pretty crummy capacity to take care of myself. No, we have to get clear about what we want instead and what we're willing to do to get there. When it comes to the next step, wanting, it's all about setting things up to help you be successful in moving forward toward your new habit. James shares that one of the factors that weighs heavily in for people in shaping their daily lives is their physical environment. And he says this really great thing. He says, you don't have to be the victim of your environment. You can also be the architect of it. I love that word architect what he means is that you can intentionally set up your physical spaces to help prompt and move you towards success with your habit formation. Needing to reduce screen time as part of your self care. Put your phone in an area that's out of reach and annoying to get to so you're less likely to interact with it. Use your environment as a tool rather than allowing it to entice you back into old patterns. Interact with it with the intention of enhancing your good habits and reducing your not so good ones. Now, for doing, I love this thing that James says, and I've heard him say it in a few different places where I've heard him speak. When it comes to the doing part of habit formation, he often says, just shut up and put your reps in. What he's saying is that repetition begets outcomes. The more we do something, the more we associate ourselves with that thing, and this creates motivation to keep doing it. This is also what provides that evidence that I'm becoming someone who can be identified in a given way, making it less about the behavior and more about my own identity, who I am. And when it becomes about who I am, I tend to have more internal motivation to sustain it. Last but not least is the liking stage of habit formation. Humans do when there's a reward, and one of the challenges of many of the positive changes we want to make for ourselves is that there isn't an immediate reward, and there is usually an immediate cost, like our energy. The reward is so far out in the future and disconnected from my daily actions that we can struggle to use it as motivation. James suggests that to help make this habit stick, we need to bring in a more immediate positive feedback or reward to help keep us engaged the thing is that the reward doesn't have to be anything big. In fact, one of his suggestions is to hang a calendar and make an X on each day that you do the habit you're trying to create. There may be some days that you don't, but once you get going, you start getting a series of Xs back to back to back. And this starts to give us a bit of a hit and a desire to not break the chain. It's silly to some extent that something as simple as marking X's can do this for us, but truly we as humans can be that easy. I'm going to encourage you to give it a try. And if you find it helpful, check out James's book, which is also available as an audiobook for those of you commuting. There's one more thing I want to say as we wrap up this series, and I think it will likely draw into our new series that starts next week in some pretty big ways too. While there is so much you can do for yourself, you aren't just you. You're part of a system. Now, this is true in a lot of senses. You're part of a family system, of a community system, of a political system, and so on. But for our purposes, I want to focus on the fact that you're part of a workplace system, whether that's law enforcement, public safety, healthcare, or something else. And that system will tend to offer some really mixed messages about self-care. What I've found in my work with clients who work on the front lines is that they are given the line that they need to do self-care, they need to prioritize themselves, they need to ensure their own wellness, blah blah blah. But when it comes to actually doing it, actually enacting what they're being told, it comes back to bite them. Whether it's trying to take a mental health day and getting in trouble with your coworkers for leaving them understaffed, or getting negative performance reviews for being someone who takes a step back to calm your body and brain down after an intense situation rather than just jumping right into the next one, or a million other things, the systems that tend to support helpers often seem to set you up to fail. And trust me, I know that that can be disheartening and that it's a huge part of what leads to burnout as well as other concerns. I wish I could promise you that your workplace will change, that it will get better, but I honestly can't. The reality is that we're working in broken systems, and to make real change, I believe we need to raise up a generation of leaders who are grounded in understanding these principles around employee mental health and wellness, and who are willing to restructure the system to work in our favor, and in the favor of those who sacrifice so much of themselves to show up day after day to serve our communities. It's part of why this podcast matters to me because I believe that equipping you with these tools will contribute to that level of change someday. But it's not going to be quick. So, in the meantime, I want to encourage you to focus on what you can control. One of the mistakes I see people make when it comes to habits and personal goals for wellness is to structure the goal or habit around outcomes they don't control. An example I can come up with off the top of my head might be something like, I want to lose weight so that so-and-so will like me. The goal to lose weight might be in my control, but the goal to make someone else like me isn't. That's up to them, and losing weight may or may not be a factor in that for them. When it comes to our work, there's a lot we don't control within the system. But there are also things we do control. I can control my mindset as I navigate challenges. I can control taking a minute to remind myself of the context surrounding other people's decisions to help me not take things as personally or feel as wrapped up in them. I can control my own breathing. I can control releasing my shoulders down and away from my ears. I can control finding a visual focal point that brings me a sense of calm or reassurance and so on. When all else fails, focus on what you can control, not all the stuff that you can't. To all of you who have followed through this series with me, thank you for sticking through and for investing in yourselves to be able to continue investing well in our communities. I hope that you've come away from this series with a different way of thinking about self-care and some plans to carry you through. I hope you've learned about how to create a bomb-proof plan to adapt to your changing life and that you've gained some skills to stick with it. For those of you who registered for the self-care dare, I'm looking forward to helping you anchor even more into the practical skills to kickstart a comprehensive plan. And for those of you who didn't choose to join the D.A.R.E. this time around, don't worry, I'm sure we'll be doing it again. I also want to let you know that self-care is one of the seven lessons we cover in the Beating the Breaking Point course. If you're not familiar with the course, it's an online seven-part series covering key components to support resilience and prevent and reduce burnout for first responders and frontline workers. I created it to help fill gaps in your training. Your training does a great job teaching you how to manage everyone else's needs, but it tends to only pay lip service to how to care for your own and ensure your own long-term sustainability and wellness within the work. I created the course after listening for years to my clients on the front lines who would tell me about the training they did get and the ways this seemed like a joke compared to what they had learned in our sessions together. I heard this consistent feedback for years and decided after a very long time to build a training tailored to the topics that seemed the most significantly beneficial to the clients I served. I'm letting you know all of this because for a short time we've created a coupon code that will give you access to the course for $100 off the regular price. I know that things have been intense out there on the front lines and that you guys are stretched thin and needing support. So I hope you'll make use of this and continue investing in yourself and vicariously everyone else who leans on you. The website to get to it is a little bit annoying, so give me a second as I rattle it off. You can find the course page at wwwmythrive lifeca Slash BTBP course. And you can use the code BTBP100 off. I'll link to all of this in the show notes. If you can jump to our website, you can find it all there. We'll keep this code active until the end of the day on March 11th. Know that we have a money back guarantee to ensure that the training is a fit for you without risk. We really just want people to benefit from this course and not feel like it's yet another obligation or stressor, so we try to make it as easy for you and as risk-free as possible. I just want to say one more time, thank you so much for listening and for all that you do, and until next time, stay safe.